It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where, where men and women can be at their best. Everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. Hey, we've got a great show for you today. As I've done in the past uh, month or so, we're having many shows, two guests, keep things moving quickly, get as much information out there as possible for our listeners, as much new thought, new concepts, things to chew on and consider to help you live your best life. So that's Guys Guys Radio. So today we have two guests. We're going to talk about two subjects, social anxiety, which believe it or not, lots of people suffer from. The number is going to blow your mind. I'll get to that in a few moments. And also uh, working with a coach. There's so many people out there working with coaches nowadays, and I guess everybody's heard about that or has a friend who works with a coach. So you might want to think about, hey, you know, is this for me? And maybe it is. Um, However you define coaching, there's lots of different ways to get coaching help. So I think we've got a pretty cool show with some fresh information for you to consider. Guys, Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. We're here on KCAA every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM, and all over the Internet. So let me ask you a question. What percentage of people do you think have social anxiety? Now, that could be anything from getting nervous when you have to speak to anybody in authority, having trouble making eye contact with people, uh, getting tense when you have to talk about yourself. There's so many different ways of having social anxiety. Some, obviously, is more serious than other aspects of it, but I think all of us go through it in some form or fashion. But believe it or not, 40 million people in America have some form of social anxiety, and uh, about 40% of those people actually suffer from it for like a decade. So it's uh, something that's uh, you know, running rampant in our culture. So you might know somebody, you might have it yourself. So if you do, this is the place to come because we've got a very special guest uh, to talk about it. You know, ask yourself, what if? What if you could find a way to overcome your anxieties? What if you could look people in the eye? What if you didn't have fear of public speaking? Well, we're going to show you how to do it today. Our first guest that we're going to bring out in a few moments is Ellen Hendrickson. She's a PhD, and she's written a book called How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic, and Rise Above Social Anxiety. And we all have that inner critic that challenges us and sneaks up our little self that comes up and says, hey, you're going to fail, or don't do that, or don't take a chance. And we have to squash the inner critic and quiet it. We have to recognize the inner critic, but we have to keep it quiet. Dr. Hendrickson is going to teach us about that. The other topic we're going to talk about, as I mentioned, is coaching. Did you realize there's over 18,000 coaches, personal coaches in the U.S. alone, and it's now a billion-dollar industry? And imagine if you could just figure out how to work your way through all these aspects of coaching so you could pick a coach on your own or, or not, but be able to qualify yourself and qualify a coach and then know how to work with them and how to get the best results and how to measure your success. We're going to do that today. We've got Melinda J. Kelly, and she's written a book called Finding Your Coach, Diving Deep Within. So what I want to do again on the shows is have multiple guests when possible and get through a lot of information, a lot of material as quickly as possible, plenty of things to digest as you're driving down Route 5 or whatever you're doing this afternoon. I hope you're having a great summer uh, in Southern California or wherever you may be. I am still here in New York City 
planning my move to Southern California, but we have two homes for sale. I have a little place at the beach in the Jersey Shore, and I have a, a condo in New York City. And you would think with the stock market being very strong most of the year and the interest rates going down, that this would be the perfect market for buyers and sellers. You would think so. I talked to some brokers because uh, I've been reading about the market and saying it's not as much action as there should be. And the brokers are telling me that the issue is there's a new wave of buyers coming in, first-time buyers, and uh, they're millennials and GXers, uh, younger GXers, and they, they, they have so much information at their fingertips that they're not relying too much on the real estate agents anymore, and they think they know all the answers, but unfortunately, they don't. For instance, I was told of an example like, oh, you know, somebody came in the other day and they thought, well, because the third floor of a condo uh, a unit on the third floor sold for X amount, then the same unit on the eighth floor should, should sell for the same amount. Now, that's not how it works. It's not just about square footage. It's about flow. It's about view. It's about you know, the higher up, and if you're in New York City, the higher up in a building usually means better views away from the noise, the crowd noise, the street noise. And uh, there's usually, you know, depending on your, let's say it's a million dollar uh, unit, it's probably going to pay fifty to $75,000 every floor you go up after the third floor. So these are things that impact the market. Things change. But ultimately, if you have to sell something or you have to buy something, you want to buy something, it's going to happen. So that's kind of what I've been dealing with this summer, but we're getting there. So this is Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. I hope you're having a great summer and let's get the show started. All right, here we are, Guys Guys Radio. Special guest, Ellen Hendrickson, PhD. We're going to talk about social anxiety, something that everybody suffers from in some form or fashion, even the people who may outwardly and on the surface have seemingly a lot of confidence. Everybody has some type of deep down issues that they're wrestling with. So the key is always, as Ellen mentions in her, in her book, be kind. So the name of the book is How to Be Yourself Quiet, Your Inner Critic and rise above social anxiety. Ellen Hendrickson, PhD, welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Robert. I'm delighted to be here. Okay, let me tell for the folks a little bit about you. Um, you're a clinical psychologist. You've helped millions calm their anxiety and be their authentic selves. Through your award-winning, you have a podcast, Savvy Psychologist. Um, you're regularly featured in Psychology Today, Scientific American, Huffington Post, Susan Cain's Quiet Revolution, and um, you earned your PhD at UCLA, so and also went to Harvard Medical School, and you live in Boston. So you got a lot of credentials. So tell us, why do so many people in today's culture have social anxiety? That is the $64,000 question. So I, I can say that social anxiety is, is definitely increasing. We, we hear that you know, through the grapevine, but I, I think it actually is true. And some of that is for a heartening reason, is that uh, stigma towards mental health problems is, I think, is slowly decreasing. It's definitely still there, definitely still an issue. But the fact that so many people have decided to come forward either online or in person and disclose their own struggles with social anxiety or shyness, I think normalizes it and makes it easier for others to, to step forward and say, hey, I struggle with the same thing. And it's, it's so many people. 
uh, 40% of people identify as shy, which is just the everyday way of saying socially anxious. And if you poll people and say, have you ever been shy? Like, were you shy as a kid? Did you hide behind your mom's leg? You know, were you awkward as a teenager? That number skyrockets up to 80%. So this is definitely something that most people can identify with and nod along when you describe social anxiety. Okay, uh, let's talk about your definition for social anxiety and how it's different from shyness. Because you know, a lot of kids can be shy, and some adults are shy. And is that necessarily social anxiety? Is you know, is shyness part of just our natural um, human nature, or is shyness a tipping point for social anxiety? Sure, that's a great question. So, so what I call small s social anxiety is synonymous with shyness. It's the, this self, sense of self-consciousness, and we can all relate to this feeling. So it's, we've all looked in the mirror and like, seen a big zit on the end of our nose or had a particularly bad hair day. And that feeling of wanting to hide or cover or conceal is the exact same feeling we have with social anxiety, except for social anxiety, it's about something inside rather than about something external. With that zit or that bad hair day, we might want to throw on some tinted moisturizer or, you know, put on a hat to, to hide our perceived defect. And with social anxiety, there's that same feeling. There is an urge to hide or to conceal. And we worry that if we don't hide that perceived defect, and again, I want to emphasize that word perceived, right. that we will be revealed, that that people will see this perceived defect and judge or reject us for it. Okay. How can uh, individuals since like 40%, I think it was, have some form of social anxiety and that means 60% don't. Um, But still there's a lot of people on both sides of the fence. How can somebody kind of do a self-assessment and say, well, maybe I'm a little shy or maybe I do have social anxiety issues that I need to uh, overcome. Sure. So I think it, it only becomes a problem when it crosses the line into what I call capital S social anxiety, which is when it becomes diagnosable. It becomes social anxiety disorder when it causes inordinate distress or impairment. And so examples for that are, okay, so for example, it's perfectly normal to feel anxious before, say, a job interview or a first date because we are being judged in a way. But if we feel that same level of anxiety before, say, like going to a new exercise class or while standing in line at the bank, then that's, that's distress. That's a disproportionate amount of distress for the situation. So that, that could cross the line. Impairment is when essentially it gets in the way of living our life. So if we pass up a promotion because it would mean giving presentations or traveling for work and meeting a lot of new people, Or if we're a student and we deliberately forego 20% of our grade because that's the class participation portion and we just feel like we can't raise our hand, you know, can't answer in front of the class, then that is impairment. That's getting in the way of living our life. So that's that's when it, it does cross the line on that continuum into a disorder. Now, uh, how can individuals then, um, you know, people, a lot of people have a fear of public speaking. And uh, to me, it's always a practical solution to things. If, if, you, if you prepare your material, if you're really prepared, you're going to have less and less anxiety when you get up in front of people. So if, if that's true to a certain extent, how can people prepare themselves 
to deal with the external world and not have as much social anxiety. Absolutely. So, so I think you've hit upon something really interesting because preparation absolutely is something that can be helpful. You, you feel ready to go. You feel more confident. And in terms of social anxiety, there is absolutely such a thing as over-preparation that some people will say, rehearse in their heads what they want to say before they go into a party, or perhaps even rehearse in their heads what they want to say before they walk up to a fast food counter because they don't want to be revealed as a babbling idiot, or they don't want to be revealed as like not having their stuff together. And so what we want to do with that is to, it's certainly okay to, to prepare for, for something where you are going to be observed, but to, to try to reel back that over-preparation when, when it becomes an exercise in simply artificially tamping down your anxiety rather than actually moving ahead, that's when you know you've gone a little too far. And so a nice trick uh, that you can do to to feel more ready to either go you know go to a party, uh, you know go to a wedding reception, is when you're in the moment, is to turn your attention outward. When we start to feel self-conscious, we naturally will turn our attention inward and start to monitor how we're doing. We'll start to monitor how things are going, and we'll start listening to that inner critic who says, "Oh, I hope." What you just said didn't sound stupid. Oh, they're going to think you're an idiot. Or, oh, maybe you'd look more casual if you stood this way. And what that does when we turn our attention inward is that eats up all our bandwidth. And so there's very little left over to actually pay attention to the moment. And so that's often why we end up like spilling our drink on somebody or tripping over our own feet because there's there's not enough bandwidth left over for, for just being in the moment. So... If we can turn our attention outward and focus on, say, the person we're talking to or the environment in front of us, the group that we're with, the audience, perhaps, then you would think that that would make us more nervous, but actually it frees up a lot of that bandwidth. And then we can respond in kind because we're attending to the moment. We're listening to what's being said. We're, we're there and we respond more naturally and actually come across better and are better liked. So, so turn your attention okay. inside mm-hmm. out. You know, in today's uh, culture, we have so much you know, social media and uh, makes some people feel good and other people not feel so good. And if you, if you go on Instagram and you look at what some of the young women, uh, I guess the guys too, but they're prancing around in very little clothes. It's like putting everything out there. It's like, look at my butt. It's like, it, it's, it's really... Is this phenomena of social media making and technology making people better at social anxiety or worse? And let, let me give you an example. I, I, I interview lots and lots of relationship coaches, and it, it, it seems that a lot of uh, millennials and beyond, uh, they have trouble with face-to-face encounters connecting that way because so much is done behind the keyboard. So when, you know, to me, when you're really going to make a connection, ultimately it's got to be face-to-face anyhow. Back in the day, you know, a guy would go into a bar and he'd see a woman he wanted to meet and it's like, hi, my name's Lou, can I buy you a drink? That doesn't happen anymore so much because you can, you can get a date on Tinder. Uh, how is all of this stuff impacting um, in the people in our culture and is social media a culprit or is it a friend, or is it a foe, or what, what is it? How do we, and how do we manage it? 
Yeah, that's, oh my gosh, that's a, that's a huge question. I and, threw a lot at you, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's fine. Um, so social media is a paradox because it's designed to connect us. And it does, it does. It absolutely, it allows us to keep in touch with, you know, folks from high school that, you know, 20 years ago we would have never seen again. Right. It, you know, it, it, allow, it, it definitely allows us to expand our social horizons. But at the same time, technology also allows us to avoid people. So, you know, pun intended, technology leaves us to our own devices. And so, like, for instance, like I was in New York um, a few weeks ago and I saw an ad for a food delivery service and it said, over 8 million people living in New York City and we help you avoid them all. Yeah. <laughs> and so, such New York. Yeah. That's so, such New York. And I get it. Like, people Thank can you. be, you know, annoying and prejudiced and unpredictable, but people are also awesome and hilarious and caring and wonderful. You know, they right. say hell is other people, but so, you know, heaven is other people as well. Right. But with social anxiety, when we avoid something, it gets built up in our mind as something big and scary. So for example, like, have you ever procrastinated over something? And then when you finally did it, you thought, was that it? That, that's all that was? That's all I was avoiding? So the same thing happens when we avoid people, because that builds up the two fundamental lies of social anxiety. One is that the worst case scenario is a foregone conclusion that, for instance, if I, you know, walk up to this woman in the bar and say, hi, my name's Luke, she's going to pour her drink on my head and yell at me and run away. And because if we don't have any experience with that, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what usually happens in that script. We're going to, our mind is going to automatically jump to that worst case scenario. I had a client who thought that if she said hi to somebody that she had had an awkward uh, encounter with previously, that they would yell at her. And so, so we, we had her try that out. Well, let's, let's see if that happens. And of course, they just said hi back. So, right. so, so one of the lies is that the worst case scenario is bound to happen. And the other is that we can't handle it, that we can't handle uh, a social interaction or you know, talking mm-hmm. to that woman in the bar or you know, saying hello to that person. And so we end up with this dearth of experience and so we inevitably think it's going to be worse than it is, and our confidence is shaky, which makes us avoid it more. So I think that's something that technology is doing to us. Okay. And it could be it could be any anything. Let me just take a little bit of a right turn. I have a son; he's six years old. He's he is building up this worst case scenario because when he was three or four, he didn't like the sound of the hand dryer in a bathroom. Now he's gotten to the point where he's afraid to go in the bathroom because of the hand dryer. So showed him the, how a, you know, a hair dryer works and all of that, trying to relax him. But give us a, how would you, you know, be, because with social anxiety, it could be something that just gets fixated in somebody's head. And the worst case scenario is you get your hands dry and there's a, there's a noise. How, how do you manage, how do you teach people to overcome their anxiety? Sure. So the biggest thing is to very slowly, you know, and gradually do the things that you're afraid of. And I always say you don't have to do a cannonball into the deep end of the pool. You can you mm-hmm. can inch your way into the pool. And so, you know, for someone like your son, I would start him listening to the hand dryer from like outside the bathroom and just hang out there until it's boring. And mm-hmm. then maybe the next step is to watch somebody dry their hands, but he's nowhere near the hand dryer. He can see it, but you know it, he's he's a you know safe distance away, and do that till it gets boring, and then just move closer and closer and closer, and and have have it repeat often enough that it again gets boring. Mm-hmm. Got it. And the same principle applies 
for social anxiety. So to start out with something like maybe flagging the waiter down and asking for more ketchup or for uh, you know something like you don't have to, if you don't want to raise your hand in front of a 300 person lecture hall, perhaps you could try going to office hours and asking the professor a question one on one. Whatever is the shallow end for you, start there and mm-hmm. build your way up. Okay. Um, going back to the you know the social media and everybody kind of uh, uh, hiding behind their keyboard or whatever has the preponderance of big personalities now created full uh, and images that people can hide behind. Let me give you two examples. Like our president, his his supporters are very uh, very much in his camp. You know, a, a reflection anything that if that he does, they say he does wrong seems to be a reflection on them. And then you have other big boisterous personalities like, you know, like a Cardi B or something in, in hip hop or other characters that seem like larger than like superheroes on the, on the big screen. And, and, you know, there's stories there, but it's all about these superheroes who are bigger than life. Is that a result of the growing preponderance of social anxiety? Well, I think part of it is that technology also allows us time it allows us the time to say with like a social media caption to edit and perfect and to really create a kind of an image there's there's we don't have to talk in real time anymore when we're producing a video or a picture with a caption or even a text it, like there certainly you know people can can edit and take as much time as they need to to write what they perceive to be witty and perfect and what is happening is that the I think perfectionism is really leaking into the picture. And perfectionism is a big driver of social anxiety. So, for instance, if you're in a meeting at work, you might think that you have to uh, have a perfectly formed paragraph in your head before you can state your idea. And so what happens? You stay silent and then someone else says your idea. Or if you're hanging out at a party and you think that you have to drop a perfectly timed witty, cool comment uh, as you're talking in a group, again, you're going to stay silent and then the conversation will will go on around you. And so the answer is essentially to lower the bar and mm-hmm. to remember that our social life or our social media presence, for that matter, isn't like a laser maze that like if we make one false move, like alarms are not going to go off all around us. And in fact, there is a lot of research to show that people prefer imperfection people who who present as perfect are unapproachable or mm-hmm. um or intimidating whereas people who are have foibles and blips and blips like that's why we love it when jennifer lawrence falls on the red carpet or that's why we love right. you know when when people mm-hmm. make mis- when celebrities make mistakes like blooper reels we love that yep. because it makes them more endearing and that works for regular people too not just celebrities got it Okay, Skies Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. Our special guest is Ellen Hendrickson, PhD. Dr. Ellen's here. How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic, and Rise Above Social Anxiety is the book. Uh, you talk about just being yourself uh, as being terrible advice, but why you should do it anyway. So what does it mean to be authentic and to be yourself? And what are some of the first steps that people can take to get on this right path? Sure. So, so you're absolutely right. So be yourself is both, you know, trite and terrible advice because, you know, we've all felt nervous before, say the first day of school or a job interview. And inevitably somebody has said to us, oh, don't worry about it. Just be yourself. 
And it's a little bit insulting because we we think, you know, having been on the receiving end of that comment, I think, oh, well, is, is that all I had to do? Gee, you know, why didn't I think of that? But it's way harder, you know, it's it's easier said than than done. And so it's, I, I, it's, it's the advice itself can be very annoying. But when you get down to it, it's actually quite accurate. And this, when I say yourself, I mean the self you are without fear. To think about mm-hmm. everybody has uh, somebody like a partner or a family member or, you know, or even just when, when we're in blissful solitude has moments where we feel like our true selves. And my thoughts about social anxiety are that it is okay to take that self into the world, that social anxiety is fundamentally a perception. It's a perception that there's something wrong with us, but that idea is a distortion. And so if we live our life believing that distortion, it's going to snowball and change how we act and create feedback loops to how we, we, what we're willing to do and how people treat us. But if we, again, this is way easier said than done, but if we can enter the world with and see ourselves as others see us, to remember that all those insecurities are, in fact, distortions, that either they're not true or they're only true to a, you know, there's a grain of truth. Perhaps we do blush easily, or perhaps we do sometimes go blank when we're talking. But that, the, that worst case scenario I talked about before is not going to happen to the extent that we think it is. So to, to go out into the world and try to be as best we can, the self we are without fear. That's our authentic okay. self. Fantastic. So Dr. Ellen, tell us uh, where our listeners can find your book, where they can find more about you, and what you got coming up. Sure. So the book is called How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic and Rise Above Social Anxiety. You can get it wherever you like to get your books. You can check out uh, my podcast, Savvy Psychologist, wherever you like to get your podcasts. And please head over to ellenhendrickson.com and uh, I, I've got some free tips and free resources for social anxiety there. Fantastic. Great job, Dr. Ellen. How to be yourself. We all will keep working on it and be our authentic selves. Thank you. For Thank being you. Our guest on Guys Guys Radio. Robert Manny's The Guys Guys Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Okay, for Guy's Guy's Radio, our special guest is Melinda J. Kelly, and she has written a book called Finding Your Coach, Diving Deep Within. Let me tell you a little bit about Melinda and then a couple of reasons why I want to have her on the show. And she's put this fine book together. She's combined her extensive professional and volunteer experiences to look at the reasons why we seek and search like our listeners on the show, yet still might find, might not find the fulfillment we're looking for. Finding your coach diving deep within is her meditations on her discovery. And let me say a few words before I introduce Melinda about coaching. You know, there's so many people. Well, let me bring her on and then we'll talk about the coaching. Welcome to the show, Melinda J. Kelly. Well, thank you so very much for having me. I'm just delighted to be here. Okay, very good. Um, as I was just about to say, uh, coaching, you know, uh, this 
professional coaching and life coach and business coach and professional coach and love coach, it's so prevalent in our culture today. And I'm sure uh, our listeners, like myself, are always wondering, like, I haven't had a coach. I've taken seminars and workshops and things like that. But it seems to be uh, it's a growing area. And there's a lot of people who are coaching. And there's a lot of questions that uh, people have, like, do I need a coach? What type of coach do I need? How do I find a coach? So I think the fact that you put this book together, Finding Your Coach, um, it takes it from a very high perspective and then it gets into the nuts and bolts. So tell us uh, a little bit about your background, Melinda, and why you decided to write this book. I have been in family publishing business for the majority of my professional life. The lovely advantage of that is that it gave me the ability to do a fair amount of volunteer work and that had always been a family tradition. And as I was out there and doing all of that, learned a lot, met a lot, dealt with a lot of different people that I might not have normally run into. And as I came to a place in my life and decided, where do I want to go from here? I'm young enough to have a second act. What do I want it to be? I started searching. And I was fortunate to meet a lot of fabulous people And yet I wasn't always getting what I wanted. And I looked around the room and other people seemed to be taking everything they needed and wanted out. And I wasn't. And that's when I started to wonder what was going on. Because there are a million coaches out there. And like you said, you can go from sports, business, personal, life, relationship, And each person out there, I believe, truly wants to give you their best. But if you aren't ready to take it in, it's like going to Brazil and trying to speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. You're going to get something, but you're not going to get it all. Got it. Um, So when people, uh, when they're going to embark on this, um, thinking about should they get a coach or not, you uh, guide them to, you got to start with uh, kind of qualifying yourself first before qualifying a coach. And there's some questions you ask people to ask themselves before, at the beginning of the journey, if you will. Could you talk to us a little bit about that, Melinda? Most certainly. Because as much as we think we're totally together, at some point in every relationship, personal, romantic, professional, We're going to knee-jerk in a way we don't understand and it doesn't make sense. And it might be because we don't understand what our relationship is with an authority figure. And anytime you're dealing with somebody in a capacity where they're giving you advice, you've made them a parent. Now, if you haven't resolved those issues within your own mind, you're going to, you know, push back. And when we know who we are, It gives us the strength to be able to take criticism and praise and take it in fully and honestly and truly and not question it. So you, I could be working with you and you raise great questions, but I don't like them because my mother asked me that. Who have I hurt by not knowing what I need? Mm -hmm. You just want to help me get where I want to go. But I'm shutting you down because of things I haven't realized are still floating within me. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of people, they, they're interested. Yeah, I'd love to have a coach. And then they're like, well, 
usually the time where they say that is maybe they're out of work or they're at an impasse in their career and they're like, well, I want to have a coach because I need to get myself on stream, but then I don't have the money to have a coach. And this is this conundrum that a lot of people who are in the most need for coaching run into where it's like, damn, I'm down right now or I'm flat and I want to get this thing going. And now I have to double down by investing in a coach. And what if I just end up in the same place I am right now? And I'm sure you hear this all the time. So kind of walk us through how somebody needs to re-examine their perspective on that process. Well, and I think that is a fabulous point. Never have we had more access to more knowledge and more information. But if you know that perhaps you have an anger management problem or you want to learn a new software, number one, you can go to the library and research it. Online, there are a ton of universities, free universities, nominal amount universities. There are also a ton of sites, YouTube, you can go through there and start working on programs. So we can make any excuse we want, but we can also find any solution we choose to. So if you do all of those things, then uh, somebody could say, well, I'm doing all of that. And maybe I took a workshop or something. Why do I need a coach? And what do you see as the coach's role? And why is that so important to somebody who's at uh, one of these crossroads? The coach is there to help you get clear and to give you suggestions. They're not there to perfect your dream. They're to help you achieve your dream. And that's where not knowing where you are and being clear within yourself becomes the issue. Because you can want to do seven things at once, but the only one that they can work on or that there's only one you can work on and get to. And if you aren't clear on what you want, they can give you the best information in the world, but you're not going to get there. It's like saying, I want to go to the circus, the beach and Disneyland all in one day. Well, yeah, you can drive by each of them, but you're not going to get to enjoy any of them. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, you also talk about the importance during the self-qualifying stage where, you know, some people might want to take some tests. You mentioned Myers-Briggs and some others. Talk about the, uh, you know, the importance of a consideration of doing some self-testing if you're not sure exactly who you are uh, and then how that uh, intersects with your qualification of yourself and, and moving forward to. Uh, working with the right type of coach. Well, because you may have the point is, uh, Melinda, you may you may uh, have misidentified what the real issue is in terms of what you need to get yourself ahead. Excuse me for interrupting, but I, I thought it was an important point. No, that's a fabulous point. You know, I find all the different tests a beautiful way to sort of see who you are, or to confirm who you think you may be, but. The Myers-Briggs is an absolutely perfect one. My friends who know me think I'm an extrovert, but I personally think I'm more of an introvert until I know you, and then I'm very extroverted, which is why I think it's great they now talk about an ambivert, which I believe we really all are. But I agree. Going through those tests gives you a better sense of who you are And it also opens your eyes to who other people are. And um, I referenced the Berkman test that I took when I was on a board. 
And it really helped me understand I come from a verbal and emotional perspective. And the people that identified were identified by other colors were a very scientific, precise, literal, analytical. I made them crazy. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to, but I made them crazy. I then understood how to work with them in a way that ended up being much more enjoyable for both of us. How do you, uh, you know, what happens a lot of times where there's, to me, there's two different types of people who uh, kind of shape their path, if you will. And let's talk about it like professionally. Some people, you know, they go to law school and they're like, nah, I want to be a chef. And then they go to some chef school and then they become a chef where they work in the kitchen and they move ahead. And there's other people, and I would include myself, and it's leading to a question, but um, who take a little bit out of each experience and uh, so it's additive, so you're building. For instance, I had a, a, when I was in marketing, I really focused on the consumer a lot. So then I went on the advertising side, was totally against the grain, but it really helped me a lot because I worked with a lot of really creative people. And that put me in the point where I wrote a book, a novel about advertising. And then from the book about advertising, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, I started blogging because the main character in the book was writing columns and so I started doing that and then I had my own website and in my business we developed the first distilled spirit website for Stolichnaya way back in the 1990s so I made sure I, I used all of that skill for my own website then I started doing the guys guys radio and uh, and made the shift from kind of a corporate career to building my own brand but in each, the point is, each step of the way, what I've uh, made sure I've done is it, it take what is my DNA, my professional DNA, and move it to job, job, and keep building it, and it can flower in different ways. Um, which way do you find is more typical? The uh, former, where I was a lawyer and now I'm a chef, or kind of doing what I do is take little bits and, you know, you keep building and then build something else, but you're always taking something with you. Even though I know that lawyer who became a chef might have taken some of his or her uh, lawyer attorney skills into the chef thing, but it is a little bit of a, a, you know, separatism there. Well, as you were talking, it struck me as, it's sort of lovely to think about becoming renaissance people of both talents and emotions. Mm-hmm. And I feel we're seeing that more and more. I'm not sure your question's very well taken because are people leaving a career out of rejection of the past moving towards the future? Or are they running to a future? Or are they choosing a future? Right. That's what I was kind of getting at. And... That's when you are running from something, you're going to be a chef, you're going to be a gardener, you're going to be, you're going to take a ton of careers because the issue hasn't been resolved in what it is you're running from. Mm -hmm. When you're moving towards something, it's expressing a new talent. It's looking at a new way to approach your life. Mm -hmm. And I feel we are starting to have a sense of I'm more than a job. We are starting to really appreciate we are so many different talents within one person that the idea that you're a company man is long gone and that one career might be what identifies you. She said you're an attorney. That's theoretically the brass ring of careers. And yet at some level, it didn't fulfill you in the way you wanted. Why do you need to stay there? Why not choose something? Why not take all that skill and knowledge 
and benefit yourself and others in a new direction. And I truly value that we're doing that more and more as people, that mm. we're not seeing that we have to be stuck in one lifetime as one person that we can at any moment decide I have more, more to give and more skills to offer. So I don't know that there is an answer because I find there are other people that suddenly go, I've loved this and I now need to express that I'm going to be the most incredible pastry chef in, mm-hmm. in the country. Okay. Um, ways, uh, you know, there's a, what's the best way for somebody who comes to the determination, yes, I need a coach uh, to make a transition or to, uh, to kind of supersize the career they're in. Um, what's the best way of working with a coach that they get the most out of the experience? Because you don't want the client to, to lead the process too much and you want to guide that person but you don't want to let them t- completely take, you know, they, they need to be a- empowered. You want to be an enabler, but you don't want them to basically tell you what to do because they're paying you. Well, like tell them what to tell you. And that's an excellent point because until you've actually, and I'm using the you as, or the mm-hmm. we, the royal we. So I'll say until I'm able to look at my quirks, to look at what's going on in me, I can work with you professionally and never tell you what really I want to take care of because I'm hiding it or I'm embarrassed by it or I'm afraid to dream that big. And so ultimately, the only person I'm hurting is myself. We can dance around the topic for weeks, months, or years. And that's why looking into yourself, asking yourself, really, what are your needs, your hopes, your wants, going through, as I say, the questions I had. By doing that, it gives you the power, and I believe that's the most important thing, to understand who are you, where are you going, what do you want? Because if you don't understand Mm -hmm. your relationship with money, Mm -hmm. you might sit there and throw it away, or you might not spend the money. So that's a perfect example. Or if I know I've done this, you go into a room and a conference or whatever, and you sit there going, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that too. And we get so full of being so smart, knowing everything. They drop a pearl of wisdom. Mm -hmm. But we're so busy being so smart, we totally miss it. Mm -hmm. So by understanding who we are and how we approach things allows us to be open to take more things in. And then in that relationship, in a coaching relationship of any nature, I mean, literally from sports, if you don't appreciate that you've got a twitch in your back, so your swing is not doing well in any of them, how's the coach going to help you? If you, so that's why I feel understanding who we are first gives us the ability to have a constructive, healthy relationship with the coach. Otherwise, We're going to go from coach to coach to coach Mm -hmm. and wonder why there's so many broad hucksters out there instead of realizing the only thing that hasn't changed is we're in the variable. Okay. So to me, that what you're saying would indicate, and correct me if I'm wrong, Melinda, that um, 
there's probably two types of clients. One that is not quite sure who they are, what their issue is. And the other is somebody who says, I have this tangible goal. Let's say I have, I make a hundred grand a year. I want to make 200,000 a year. And then you're on kind of like the clock and they might not realize that that might be their goal, but that may not be their issue. Which client, how do you work with those different types of clients and which one is easier to work with and more difficult? Well, anytime you're trying to get to a castle in the sky and you don't have a set of stairs, it's pretty hard. So when you have someone with an unclear sense of where to go, that's hard because you're dealing with two issues. What is it you really want? Because there's what you're saying you want. But are you willing to put in the work? Is this something you've decided you want to do? But is it really, is it what you think you should do? Because we do that as well. I think I should do this. Well, thinking your head and your heart, if they aren't in unison, you can decide to do anything, but getting there is going to be problematic. When you've got an individual, a client who is like, I know that I want to, and I'm going to go with concrete things because when someone says, oh, I want to change the world, that's lovely but hard to get to. But when someone says, I want to open a business and how do I get there? That's a very clear thing you're able to work with. Mm-hmm. And you can sit there and start literally on the financial, on the logistics, on a variety of different things and give them clear, simple advice and watch them achieve it. That can be very fulfilling and it sounds easy, but it isn't because mm-hmm. in that entire process, there are going to be the moments when they are white-knuckling it through and you have to help them deal with their emotions as well as their hopes that are battling with each other. Got it. Okay, it's Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, our special guest, Melinda J. Kelly. Her book is Finding Your Coach, Diving Deep Within. And one of the great things about what Melinda is doing is she's um, she's not just selling her coaching services, far more than that, she's teaching people about uh, how to shift their perspective on coaching, what to expect, the importance of doing self-examination and self-qualification first, and then getting into a situation where you work with a coach uh, much more efficiently because you have a better sense of who you are and what your issues might be. Uh, Let's say somebody like myself, I came to you and said, okay, I, I told you that I was actually an English major in college, I got into business, because I want to write, but I needed experience, so I wanted to travel around the world on a company dime, which I did. Then I got my marketing MBA, then I got into advertising, then I wrote a, two books, one of them got published, then I did my website, then I did Guys Guys Radio, now it's blowing up, and now I'm working on two other nonfiction books, and now I got a screenplay, and I got a TV series, and I want this thing, I want a bigger and bigger and bigger audience, and I want sponsors. What would you tell me to do? Well, how would you work with me starting out? I'm, I'm, I'm not asking you for the answer. I know what I want. I know who I am. I know how I serve. But from your perspective, how do you work with somebody like me who is comes at you like a know-it-all? <laughs> well, first of all, I would say, my God, I am so thrilled that you have such a big vision. And more than that, I'm thrilled that you have and have achieved a big vision. Because every step, no matter how tentatively it was taken, has been taken and has taken you further and further and further. 
And so with that, it would seem to me, it would be getting clear on what it is, where to next, because listing everything you've done, how each success is built on the other. You've got the knowledge. You've got the ability. The question becomes, do you need someone to help you be accountable? Do you need someone to help keep you on track? Someone who is as much as a self-starter as you would be a very different situation than someone who says, I have this really big idea that I think could be great. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want for people to have a better sense of one another. And I'm not sure how to make that happen. And I'm going to assume at one point that was the little seed that sparked in your mind that has grown to this entire lovely world you've created. That would be a very different nurturing process right. of looking at what is going to go with your best skill set and work with your life and go with your natural talents to help you have a sense of accomplishment and fulfillment. Okay. What would be your... Uh Kind of uh, for our audience, for our listeners who are thinking about this, like, hmm, maybe I should work with a coach. I'm not sure exactly how to get started. What are kind of like three or four first steps to take to get yourself started to know if I, I think you'd agree that coaching isn't necessarily for everyone, for a lot of people, but maybe not for everyone. So for the people who want to go through that process, what are kind of some of these uh, initial steps they should take to determine, okay, I need a coach and okay, this is the type of coach I need. I would say if you have looked and done research and studied and gone to all the traditional routes and still are not sure that you're getting what you need, maybe you need to look for a coach or a professional mentor or someone along that line. I would say, talk with your friends, ask who they've worked with, ask what they found advantageous, ask what they didn't like. Mm -hmm. When you meet someone, interview them and interview them more than just words. Get a sense of their work, get a sense of if the two of you resonate, if your values are the same, if you approach life from the same perspective. They can be fabulous for your friend, but they're not hitting your needs. Right. If you start to work with somebody and don't feel it's right, honor that. It doesn't matter. If you're not comfortable, you're going to shut down and neither of you are going to have an effective relationship. Got it. Okay, great stuff. Uh, Melissa J. Kelly, Finding Your Coach, Diving Deep Within. Thanks so much for being on Guys Guys Radio. There's so much more to the book, questions you need to ask yourself, you need to ask others, how to qualify coaches, how do you define success. There's really a lot here uh, in a very clear, concise fashion. So thank you, Melinda, and tell everybody where they can find more about you and your services. You can find me on the usual social media under Melinda J. Kelly, and my website is melindajkelly.com, and my book is available at Amazon. And certainly would look forward to hearing from any of your listeners. And let me just say thank you for such a lovely and spirited discussion and so many lovely things to think about. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Melinda.
All right, we're back at Guys Guys Radio. Two excellent interviews with Ellen Hendrickson, Ph.D., talking about how to quiet and manage that inner critic and rise above any social anxiety you may have and, like, how do you be yourself? And also Melinda Kelly, Finding Your Coach. So what did we learn today? What's our Guys Guys guide for the day? Well, as far as social anxiety, I think the first thing is that um, there's nothing wrong with us. Um, and there's nothing to fear except fear itself. I think what we need to do before we do anything that's challenging to us, ask yourself, you know, hey, what's the worst that can happen? And, you know, if you have your health, not that much bad can, can happen because health, health is really so important. Um, and then also every once in a while you just have to say WTF and YOLO. You know, just go for it. Just do it. Follow your dreams. Don't let that inner critic keep barking, quiet it down and do your thing because there's nothing wrong with you and everything's going to be good. So treat yourself well, believe in yourself. Um, secondly, in terms of finding a coach, um, I think the things to do are you need to, uh, we need to qualify ourselves first as to what we're looking for, who are we, what do we need to learn, and then qualify the type of coach and the, the specific coaches we are considered, considering working with. You know, it all begins with us. Um, we don't have to change ourselves. I always like to say it's, it's everything's there. It's all about finding our truth. It's not about changing ourselves because we come from perfection. So therefore, there is an aspect of perfection in us. So we just have to find that, find our true selves and find our higher self, not our small self and work with that. So find your truth. Um, guys, Guys Radio, we've got over 370 shows now. You can find us on, of course, here on KCAA, FM and AM, 8 p.m. Wednesdays, Pacific Time. We're also on Spotify, iHeartRadio nationwide. We're on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spreaker, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, KCAA.com, Streaming, RobertManny.com. It all started with my book, the novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. And... Uh, it's been called the male sex in the city. So that's how we all started the Guys Guys movement. That's our source material from there on robertmanny.com, M-A-N-N-I. We've got over 300 blog posts on everything about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. And then we started up Guys Guys Radio, and we've continued to grow and grow and grow. And we've got a lot more shows coming. We've got a lot of great guests coming. So I thank you for allowing me into your space I thank you for supporting me. If you want to give us a review on iTunes, you want to subscribe, um, that's great. You want to buy the novel, that's great. You want to just listen, that's fantastic also. I thank you. I look forward to us getting together again next week. And until then, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>